0: Good evening, everyone. It is great to see you on this Good Friday. If you're new to our congregation, my name is Rich. I'm the lead pastor here. And during our Good Friday services, we call them our contemplative services because uh, in a moment I'm going to offer just a brief reflection and then release you to different parts of our building uh, for the sake of greater contemplation and prayer and reflection and journaling uh, on the cross of Jesus. And what... The crucifixion has done for the world and done for us as well. But before I release you to the various centers around this building, I want to reflect on a particular passage of scripture. And The title of my short reflection tonight is The Foolishness of God. The Foolishness of God. In First 1 Corinthians 1.18, it says these words. It says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Let's pray, Lord Jesus, open our eyes and our ears and our hearts this evening that we would get a fresh revelation of your cross. Lead us through the power of your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. When one thinks of Good Friday, there are a lot of words that come to mind, words like suffering and love and sacrifice and justice and forgiveness and salvation. All these words are part and parcel of our Good Friday vocabulary. But there's another word that I want to add to that list. A word that we don't often associate with Good Friday, a word that we often don't associate with God, a word that we don't often associate with Jesus. And that word is foolishness, foolishness. On Good Friday, God is foolish. On Good Friday, Jesus is foolish. The message of the cross is foolishness. Now in the story of scripture, foolishness is used in two different ways. It's used in the book of Proverbs in one way, and it's used by the Apostle Paul in another way. In the book of Proverbs, it's used in a negative way. In Proverbs, it's, it's, it, a foolish person is someone who rejects wisdom. Someone who chooses to live without God's direction and God's guidance. It speaks of someone who rejects God and goes down their own path of self-destruction. But when Paul talks about foolishness, particularly in the passage that I just read, he's talking about God, but talking about a different kind of foolishness. To call God foolish... And this passage is in essence to say that God's ways have a countercultural wisdom that on the surface looks foolish to the world. If I could kind of capture what I want to get at this evening with this one text, it's found in these words, that the wisdom of Good Friday is found in the foolishness of God. And the power of Good Friday is found in the weakness of the cross. And it is here where we reflect on 1 Corinthians and we reflect on the cross. In our text, we're picking up on perhaps the central story of Christianity, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Now, in ancient times, the cross wasn't a fashionable symbol like we view it today. Some of us wear crosses. Some of us have cross medallions and such. But in ancient times, the cross was not a fashionable symbol. The cross was a symbol that was reprehensible. It was an instrument of torture reserved for the worst criminals, reserved for the slaves, reserved for the worst offenders of society. It was the Romans' way of saying that if you step out of line, this is what you have coming to you. And so if folks in ancient times... Integrated the symbol of the cross in ways that we typically do in our times, it would be seen at best as strange and at worst as psychotic. Because why would you put a cross around your neck in the same way you could ask in modern times, why would you put an electric chair around your neck? Why would you wear a noose? An instrument of hanging black people in the South. Why would you put that as a fashionable thing around your neck? At best, it's strange. At worst, it's psychotic. And yet, the Apostle Paul says crazy things like this, especially in ancient times. May I never boast in anything but the cross, may I never brag about anything but the cross. How could Paul say that? Well, for people on the outside, although it looked like failure, although they could not perceive it, or although demonic powers could not see it, God was at work in the world through this reprehensible symbol to bring about redemption to the entire creation. And yet, this did not make a lot of sense to people in ancient times. Many people in the ancient world viewed the cross as foolishness. Now, in the passage that I read in 1 Corinthians, there is a dispute that's going on in the church. The Corinthian church, if you read that book, they're always arguing about something. And it's a good reminder that if you're part of a church, you're probably going to be arguing about something. And the argument in this chapter was about the nature of wisdom and the nature of power. Different people in the church had varying opinions about what constituted wisdom and what constituted power. And this is a question and an issue that's raised from each generation to the next. How do we understand wisdom? How do we understand foolishness? How do we understand power? How do we understand weakness? Now, because of where they were in the moment of history, the Corinthians valued a particular kind of wisdom, a wisdom that was formed by Socrates, a wisdom that was formed by Plato, a wisdom that was formed by Aristotle is a particular kind of philosophical wisdom that they valued. But when Paul came on the scene, Paul said, you have your Socrates, you have your Plato, you have your Aristotle, but I want to show you a different kind of wisdom, a wisdom that makes no sense to the world. And he introduces the cross. Moreover, they would understand the Old Testament. They would understand power. They would understand the God who split the Red Sea, past power. The God who shakes the foundations of the earth, that's power. The God who who gives them victories over uh, their enemies, that's power. But when Paul comes on the scene, Paul shows them a different kind of power that to the world seems like weakness. And as a result of the cross, which looks weak, the people in the church had a hard time embracing this message because to the world, it was foolishness. And that message in ancient times is something that we all have to deal with today because the cross is not just foolishness in in the ancient world. The cross is foolishness in our modern world as well because at the core of the cross is weakness. Here we have a god who is being crucified on the cross looks weak, looks like failure, looks like foolishness. And it is in this foolishness that God is saving the world. Many of us have a hard time with the cross. Many of our world have a hard time with the cross because the cross looks weak. The cross looks powerless. The cross doesn't solve the problems of the world. Our world problems are not solved by self giving love. Our world problems are solved by military might. Our world problems are solved by greater violence. Our world problems are often attempted to be solved by power. And not just on the world stage, in our individual lives, we have a problem with weakness. When we see a little kid in a playground, maybe it's your kid skinned their knee and they start to cry. I've seen parents tell four-year-olds, five-year-olds, six-year-olds to to little boys, don't, don't cry. You're a big boy. Big boys don't cry. It's like the kid just skinned his knee. What does it say about us when we don't let kids cry? We have a hard time with weakness. But not just kids in a playground, in our own lives we have a hard time with weakness. We have a hard time confessing our weaknesses, confessing our depression, confessing our addictions, confessing that we don't have our act together. Many of us often do as much as we can to hide our weaknesses, to give a sense of strength to the world, because to be weak and to embrace weakness is foolishness. Which is why, when you go on a a job uh, interview and such, you never really talk about your weaknesses. When the employer says, Tell me about your weaknesses, you don't say, Well, I have a hard time coming to work on time. I, I, I call out a lot. I get bored very easily. No, no, no. We say, I'm such a perfectionist. That's my weakness. I just like to do things right all the time. Why? We have a hard time confessing our weakness. Because the world does not value weakness. And here we are on Good Friday looking at the personification of weakness, which is foolishness to the world, but is wisdom to God, which is weakness to the world, but is power to God. We are ashamed of our weaknesses. This is why many people say things like, I don't like Christianity because Christianity is for weak people. You've heard people say Christianity is a crutch for people who cannot stand on their own. And as a Christian, you should never get offended when someone says that. When someone says Christianity is for weak people, you should never get offended. When people say Christianity is a crutch for people who cannot stand on their own, you should never get offended. What you should say is, no, Christianity is more than a crutch. It's a wheelchair. It's an ambulance. It's a stretcher. It's a hearse. Christianity says you you more than just have a limp, you're dead. And the only one who can raise you to life is God. You're more than just weak, you're dead. But the good news of Christianity is that God doesn't come to make good people, bad people good or good people better, God comes to make dead people come alive. That is the message (laughs) of the gospel. And yet the cross shows us a God who is vulnerable. The cross shows us a God who is weak. The cross is an embarrassment. Here Jesus is, crucified. And on all the art, Depictions of art and such, he usually has a cloth on him, but he would be crucified naked before his friends, before his mother. This is an embarrassment. And in the embarrassment of the cross, God is reconciling the world to himself. How can we understand this? How can we understand the God who saves us through what appears to be through failure, through weakness, through foolishness? Well, how do we understand this? Very simply, we must just simply say that God's ways are not our ways. And God's thoughts are not our thoughts. Whatever the world prizes as ultimate, God displays the very opposites. And so God, Paul says, this God demonstrates redemption through self-giving foolish weakness, through self-giving love. And it doesn't make sense to the world. Paul says, to those who are perishing, it seems like foolishness. But for those who are on the inside, for those who have tasted this love, it is the very power of God to salvation. And yet this is something that the world doesn't understand. And if you're honest with yourself, Christianity is foolishness. Christianity doesn't make sense to the world. Christianity often doesn't make sense to me. I think about Bishop Will Willimon. He was a Methodist bishop, and he said it this way in a series of questions. And I think he's getting at something that we have to wrestle with. As followers of Jesus and those of you who may not be followers of, Jesus, followers of Jesus that are trying to consider this Christianity. This bishop says these words, what kind of sense does it make to worship a God who instead of rescuing us out of trouble, rescues us by entering into the trouble with us? A God who instead of helping us to avoid pain, heals us from pain by entering the depths of our pain with us. A God who, instead of fixing things for us, addresses them by becoming weak with us in our weaknesses. This doesn't make any sense. Wouldn't a Savior be strong enough to save me from pain? But not Jesus. Jesus enters into our pain. And paradoxically and surprisingly saves us. This doesn't make any sense sense. Although the world could not see it, demonic powers could not perceive it, God is at work in the world. And God being at work in the world on the cross means that in Jesus Christ, there is a great exchange that takes place. He takes on our death that we may take on his life. He takes on our alienation that we would take on welcome. He takes on our bondage that we would take on his freedom. He takes on our condemnation that we would take on his righteousness. He takes on our sickness that we would take on his healing. He takes on our rejection so that we could take on his acceptance. Because of his cross, we do not have to live with the burden of sin. Because of this cross, we don't have to live with a feeling of condemnation and the reality of alienation. We are received by God. And so listen, we are saved by the foolishness of the cross. But brothers and sisters, on Good Friday, we are reminded that we are also saved into the foolishness of the cross. In other words, the cross is not just something that God does for us. The cross is something that we often we also join God in. Which is why Jesus said, if anyone's going to follow me, let that person take up his or her cross. How weak are you? How vulnerable do you allow yourself to be? How foolish is God calling you to be? To those who are perishing, the cross is foolishness. But to those who are being saved, it is the very power of God. And so what's the invitation? to things, contemplation and imitation. We contemplate what Jesus has done for us. Look at his love for you. Poured out blood, broken body for you. In your sin, in your bad habits, in your alienation, look at his love for you. This is why we're here on this Good Friday contemplative service. We contemplate Jesus. But to follow Jesus is not just to contemplate what he's done for us, it's to imitate him. To follow him, to take up our cross. And at the end of the day, the only thing that stands is the cross. In closing, I'm reminded of an image I saw this past week. Many of us are familiar with the news out of Paris and Notre Dame, where this century old, centuries old cathedral went up bursting in flames. And many of you saw the agony of people in Paris and people around the world just expressing their own sense of grief and sadness. The next day after that fire, there was an image that surfaced that went viral it was a beautiful image, I think, really appropriate for Holy Week as we're moving towards Good Friday. And it was an image of a cross in the midst of the rubble. That in the midst of all the rubble and the fire, what stood solid was the cross. And it reminded me, it served as a wonderful metaphor, That the the very fires of hell cannot extinguish the foolish love of God. The very fires of hell cannot. What can separate us from the love of God? (laughs) Nothing can separate us from the love of God. It is the cross that stands It is the cross that we look to. It is the cross that has paid for our redemption. It is the cross that brings us to God. It is the cross that forgives us. It is the cross that renews us. It is the cross that heals us. It is the cross that makes us new. What can separate us from the love of God? Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray together. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Jesus Christ. And in light of this love, the invitation is for us to turn to this Jesus. Maybe some of you for the first time, many of us for the hundredth or thousandth time, just to come back to him. God's love is for you. Jesus died to take on your sin, to taste death on your behalf, to forgive you in the process, to save you, to make all things new. Lord Jesus, every Good Friday we are humbled by your self-giving love by your broken body and poured out blood. The work that rescues us and redeems us, that sets us free. And Lord, on this Good Friday, may we contemplate and fix our eyes on you. The one who in foolish weakness rescues the world out of its sin. Lord, teach us how to be weak. Teach us how to confess our own weakness so that we would receive the very power of God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.